Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. According to Nielsen Media Research, there are more than 500,000 brands in the world, representing 2,000 categories. So we have a lot of brands, a lot of categories, and we are in unprecedented times when it comes to the spending levels in global advertising and support of all those brands, whether it be products or services, according to Magna. In 2021, there was a 22% increase in global all-media ad spend, and it hit, get this, $710 billion. So there is no lack of investment in organizations trying to maximize the value of their brands, but it all starts with an effective brand strategy. My guest today is going to tell us that we need to think differently about how we develop our brand strategy if we want to make effective connections with our audience. Sandeep Dayal is a seasoned marketing and strategy leader with the consulting firm Sorrenti Marketing Group. Sandeep serves as a counselor to C-suite executives and board members at global Fortune 500 companies, and he has helped clients build blockbuster brands and markets spanning the entire world and includes the EU, Latin America, Asia, and the U.S., He's an accomplished author. He's co-authored articles in Marketing Management, McKinsey Quarterly, and Strategy Plus Business. And his new book is called Branding Between the Ears, Using Cognitive Science to Build Lasting Consumer Connections. So I can't wait to dive into this topic of how we need to think differently about effective brand strategy. Sandeep, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Dan, thank you for having me. So, Sandeep, I, I want to go back and just in looking at your bio, you've obviously had this very uh, accomplished career as a consultant. You've worked for some of the most prestigious consulting firms in the world. What originally motivated you to pursue that consulting path and then ultimately this deeper focus on branding? Yeah, so, I mean, I think consulting uh, for certainly for people that stay in consulting for a long time, as I have, uh, it has to be a natural, you know, curiosity, a natural desire to discover things that keeps you in the game. And I think consulting more than any other profession allows you to do that. I mean, if you look at my career, I work for, you know, I'm going to guess that more than 50 different um, Fortune 500 companies all around the world. And where else, you know, in what other profession are you going to get that opportunity to dive into so many different companies, and see the world from their world and from their customers' eyes and be able to work on this. So, you know, it's just that. So if you have that sense of the curiosity and this sense of and a desire for discovering new things, um, consulting, I think, does it better than um, any other profession. But you know what? I may be biased. <laughs> well, you know, that's true. When you think about uh, today's times where there's just the dynamic of so much change in the marketplace, the ability to pivot and adapt to new situations and kind of rethink, uh, your consulting is exactly spot on. You're, you're going on different engagements. 
you're having to uh, really engage with different cultures and kind of different uh, strategic areas of focus. So I would think that would have really honed your ability to really just think very uh, much uh, about the whole range of possibilities when it comes to solving marketing problems. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to the second part of your question, which is, you know, what led me to marketing? Um, and it's kind of an extension of the same thing, which is that I really like also understanding, you know, how people think, how people behave and so on. So that's just that desire, if you if you will, to understand people and so on. And, and marketing really brings you close to people. And I've done a lot of work, Dan, for example, in the healthcare sector. And I remember one time I was in Dublin, I was attending a conference on hemophilia. And this was a technical conference where doctors were presenting to doctors. And so they were talking all this technical stuff. But I remember that I walked in there and there were all these parents who had come with their young children who had hemophilia. It was just a sight to see, to see all these people that were just coming there because they were desperately looking for answers for them. And so, you know, that's what got me into marketing a lot because, you know, I said, look, these are the kinds of people that I want to be able to, you know, work with and through marketing, which is different from other things and be able to understand better and, and help to communicate better to them and direct them to the solutions that they need to find. And of course, healthcare is one area, but that general idea of getting closer to customers and consumers mm-hmm. is something that should inspire you if you're really going to get into marketing. Yeah. And obviously this quest to actually connect with consumers, as I said at the open, just incredible amounts of money being spent on advertising, going out, trying to promote and amplify that. But we we know that it's not so easy, right? To translate from what you want to achieve in terms of positioning of the brand, actually achieving those results. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers for companies that are really trying to achieve this successful, sustainable branding efforts? Yeah. And I think, you know, and you were reeling out those figures, Dan, and I was also just listening to those figures with fascination, even though I'm in the field. But yes, indeed, a lot of money does get um, spent in, in marketing. And you can see it sort of goes back to what you and I were just talking about here, which is that ultimately good marketing revolves around getting inside people's heads and really understanding what is that connection that you can make with customers and with consumers, because marketing is all about that. And so far, that has been very difficult to do because, you know, what goes on in a person's head is very personal and it's very difficult to dive into those things. Um, but now what is happening is that um, there's a lot of there's a lot of research that has been done in some very disparate fields. So you can look at fields like cognitive psychology. You can look at fields like behavioral economics, uh, social anthropology, uh, even linguistics. So, you know, you look at all these different fields. And the one thing that is common there is that they've all been trying to understand human behavior and how the human mind works. And as a result, over the last 15, 20 years, we have a lot better understanding of how the human mind works, which helps us in doing marketing better. Part of the reason that people have been spending so much money in marketing is because they were making, you know, it was guesswork. You would try, you would have to try 10 things before one thing would work. But now we're getting better at it. So, you know, there is hope. There is. And in your latest book, Branding Between the Years, you highlight that critical role of cognitive science 
and achieving that meaningful connection with customers. Can you talk a little bit about what that's all about? Right. So what we've discovered and what is always true is that when you look at the human mind, it sort of attaches this sort of aura around things, right? So even when we're dealing with people, right, we know that everything that we see about a person or hear from their speech or something is not everything that is to them. To really understand people, you need to get into their, whatever, their soul or their personality and what have you. And that is actually true for even brands and products. When our brain sees a particular product, it knows that everything that it can just see and, you know, sort of feel and all of that stuff is not enough. There is something more to it. And we call that maybe the soul of the brand. And it is that imperceptible. So there's the seen and the unseen. And it is that unseen which is so important to what a brand um, can be. And we are using all of these cognitive sciences, Dan, to start really understanding the unseen because the beauty of the unseen is that it can get you that true and lasting differentiation that you're looking for your brand, which you cannot get if the only thing that you do is product differentiation. Yeah, you know, you talk about the seen versus the unseen. And I know just in terms of my marketing career and working with teams, that can be a really uncomfortable, scary place in terms of dealing with the unknown. We tend to go to a comfort zone of what are some beliefs that we have and let's make some assumptions and let's try to generalize. Let's try to um, really create some shortcuts. But what you're saying is, no, um, actually to be most effective, it's really more of a segmentation approach of really understanding those unique needs and motivations, right? And so it's not as simple as one size fits all. It's not as simple as one size fits all. And it is, um, uh, it is around, you know, getting deeper into those unseen elements of, uh, of the brands because the seen elements, if you will, are the elements that can be copied most easily, right? If I'm if if I invent something, it's you know, and I just talk about the fact that it's faster, easier, or something like that. Well, you can bet that somebody else is going to come right behind me and make their product just as fast and easy, right? So those seen elements are usually very easy to copy. It's those unseen elements that you add on to your brands that become very difficult to copy, and that's why really understanding what those unseen elements are that the uh, mind attaches to uh, the brain attaches to our uh, brands is where a lot of the value lies. You know, and the companies that actually commit and go in pursuit of really understanding that unseen, my guess is there's this huge competitive differentiation advantage, right? That they can get because a lot of them just aren't going to step up. Uh, and yeah. do that. So, right. It's a breakaway opportunity. It is a breakaway opportunity and it is very different from, you know, what we've been doing in the past. Let me give you an example, which maybe is uh, not as familiar to the male audience, but nonetheless, let me just try this here. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a sanitary pad, which women use, which is goes by the name of always, right? It's a very, it's a very big brand. And you would think that normally if you were the marketer and it was your responsibility to uh, market all the always sanitary pads, that you would be talking about, you know, how they can last the whole day. You could be talking about, uh, you know, there's no leakage in it and so on. And, you know, that uh, it's comfortable and so forth. And those are kind of very list oriented benefits that any other competitive product can also try to lay claim to. 
But what always did was that they built this whole notion around confidence, which you can imagine, you know, if you if you have a product that works well, then you would have confidence around it and it would make you more confident in the day. But they came out with this campaign, uh, which was called Like a Girl. And what they found in their market research, Dan, was that when you look at teenage women, um, what happens with them is that this whole phrase of like a girl is used often to put them down, right? That you throw like mm-hmm. a girl oh, or you mm-hmm. swing a golf club like a girl or you speak like a girl, right? So that like a girl phase, phrase is often used by people to put down and undermine the confidence of teenage women, right? So always sort of came out with this whole campaign around like a girl in which they were sort of connecting with the angst that teenagers mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. around that whole issue and showing and showing and advocating that like a girl is not a bad thing, you know, and like a girl and, you know, a lot of these women are actually doing things just like men are doing, but you just label them as like a girl and sort of put them down. And that can, campaign become, became very, very successful and made that brand one of the most successful brands. And guess what? The important thing in that and the interesting thing in that, which is kind of the stuff that got me into this whole area, was that they never talked about how their product. So they have this campaign, Like a Girl, and underneath it, it would say always, but they would never say what their product actually does and how it's different. So that is where they were able to connect on this unseen angst that exists with teenagers and become their product of choice. Really interesting example. And, you know, something that marketers are really focused on is achieving emotional connection with their branding. There's this belief that, well, if we could really create some behavior, uh, if we could create that emotional connection. But in your book, you actually say that emotional branding can be very tricky. What makes that so challenging? Yeah, the, the challenge is that, and this is, you know, Mark Gobi came out with this book, Emotional Branding, which was maybe 15 years, 20 years back. And that was kind of a breakthrough. And then marketers started emotionalizing their products. But, you know, the thing that happened was that they started emotionalizing their products almost non-strategically or randomly, you know, which is like, hey, you know what, how can I just put in a little, you know, sauce of emotion into this this thing? And that's just not how our brain works. You know, just because I decide to be emotional right now doesn't mean that you're going to like me better, right? And this works the same way for products, which is if you are just emotion without without the, you know, without it really fitting the moment, then it, it just comes across as unauthentic. So there were all these ads that people started doing, which would make us laugh, they would make us uh, cry. And what started happening was as, as people studied those things in neuroscience much more carefully, they found that actually emotions, when they're overdone, can be detracting from the message of the brand. Of the brand. And so uh, in my book, I actually talk about the example with Apple, where Steve Jobs had these, you know, all these wonderful ads, these commercials on TV, which was about this PC guy, this nerdy PC guy, and this versus the cool Apple guy. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. told the agency that I don't want these ads to be, you know, laugh out loud funny, because then people are going to be focusing on the joke and not on the product. And he was, he said that instinctively, but he was absolutely right. Research into emotions, particularly negative emotions, shows that when you show all these sob stories and things like that on TV, people start focusing on that emotional story and they forget to focus on the product. And that's not good for marketers. 
you know, as you were talking, the other example where this plays out, I think every year is the the big blockbuster ads that are on the Super Bowl, right? And you just see that range. And I feel like the danger there is like, it's like hit or miss. Some of them um, are really, uh, they're witty, they're inventive, right? But then sometimes yeah. some of them, they just flop because they went for the uh, the cheap laugh or they went just too far, too extreme, right? Don't you think that, you, that that's like a living laboratory where you see that playing out? Oh, yes, absolutely. I love, uh, you know, watching all these new ads that come out over Super Bowl. And in fact, this year, one of the big misses was an ad by uh, Facebook, which uh, was for their metaverse. So, you know, they renamed themselves Meta. And they did this whole ad around this little band that is playing music on, on um, you know, in a restaurant. And then, you know, whatever, COVID happens or whatever happens and the restaurant shut down, shuts down and this band is displaced. And it was kind of like one of these, uh, you know, animated characters that was the that was the band. And they show this animated character then suffering all kinds of humiliation, right? Which is that it's being thrown, you know, it's it's been tossed out into um, into a garbage truck. It's been left by the wayside on the road. People are making fun of it. Last, mm-hmm. and then it, and then they show. By the way, it gets together with its band um, in the metaverse, and so everything is, uh, you know, hunky dory. But you know, you look at that ad. And if you look at what has been happening in in times of pandemic, people have been losing their jobs, right? People have been yeah. people that were bands in these restaurants and so on. Those mm-hmm. are the people yes. that have been losing their jobs. So, you know, why would you depict something that shows those people being humiliated when they've lost their income, right? right. You know, so it just sort of, uh, it just sort of sets off those negative things. And then you say, oh, but it's all fine because now they can be happy in metaverse. Really? They just lost their income, right? And they're going to be happy in metaverse. So, I mean, you have to be very careful when you play with people's emotions. And you also have to be aware, which this is something that you and I are aware of as as normal people, but sometimes marketers forget, that when you show a particular ad with a particular intent, be aware that people will interpret it on their own and they're not necessarily going to interpret it with your intent. They're going to interpret it with their intent. So what happens with this Facebook thing is they intended it in a particular way, right? However, you know, all of us have been watching people lose their jobs during the pandemic. So we're going to see it with a different lens. Right. And so you have to be able to anticipate those things and sort of see these things from a human, average human an average customer eye. So, and and then you can sort of avoid those misses. And that ad was widely trashed. I'm not the only person to trash that ad. It's been widely trashed. I haven't seen it again. So I think Facebook got the message. Yeah, kind of a one-time play on, on that one. But one of the intriguing things in your book that you talk about is thinking about this division of brands. There are brands with empathy and then there are brands with values. Um, why are... Th- is that so essential to be thinking about those different dimensions? And that's a great question. And by the way, if you look at those two terms, Dan, brands with empathy and brands with values, and then you go back to your business school and you open up your branding book, you won't see those terms there. No. Right? And those things are actually becoming very important. Um, the brand that I just described, that example that I just gave you of Always, which did that Like a Girl campaign, is an example of a brand with empathy. In the sense, this is a brand that is communicating to the teenagers that, look, we understand how you feel. 
right? When you're said, when somebody says to you like a girl, we know how that undermines your confidence, right? So by making that connection, they're able to then, you know, earn that place of trust with teenagers so that then they're willing to accept their other messages also and accept their product. So that's a brand with empathy. And a number of brands have done that. You know, Dove was another one by Unilever was another one that did the real beauty campaign, uh, which sort of highlighted the whole fact around, um, you know, doing commercials around women that are, that look like the women that we meet in our everyday lives, but not like those, you know, anorexic, uh, super thin, unreal women that you might see on commercials. Um, so, you know, you can find different ways of connecting with people where you can show to them that you understand how they feel. And that's a brand with empathy. Brands with values are a little bit different. You know, brands with values are brands that say to consumers that we care about the same, you know, we have the same sense of values that you do. So we share in your values. We, what you think is right or wrong is also what we think is right or wrong. Now, this is a pretty inter- interesting place to be. Now, you, you remember that whole incident with Colin Kaepernick, right, in the yes. NFL when he kneeled right after Black Lives Matter. That was so controversial. The president of the country, you know, targeted him, if you will. And most of the brands, including the NFL, you know, ran far away from him. However, Nike actually decided to double down because he was their spokesperson and they doubled down on him and they care, you know, care about those social causes. And they made these big posters out of um, Colin Kaepernick. So you would just see his face on them, black and white posters with just his face on them. And um, with the letters written, believe in something even when it means sacrificing everything, right? And it's sort of, it was kind of that relation to the values, which is to say, look, there are certain things which you do want to stand up for and are worth sacrificing everything. Now, whether you believe, you know, whether you're on one side of that fence or another side of the fence is a different matter. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is how a brand can make that value statement and connect with a certain set of customers not necessarily all you can you can bet on that but with a certain set of customers you're going to have that deep connection by connecting with their values but it is a controversial place to be in because you're going to disconnect with certain other customers in that case right 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 i would think maybe the the most challenging place to be if you're a brand is trying to just Find the mushy middle is what I would call it. And then where you're really not standing for anything, right? Or you're not perceived yeah. to stand for anything. I would think that would be a tough place. So the idea is really um, stand for something. Know that uh, you know, you're going to connect with part of that audience. There's some risks that you may not connect with others, but at least there's clarity of standing for something. Yeah. And what I've been telling my clients, certainly at the senior level, is that that is a discussion that needs to happen in every boardroom that, you know, what are the values that your brand is going to stand for? Not the values, just that what the company is going to stand for. What are the values that your brands will stand for? Because otherwise what happens is that you suddenly find yourself um, in a place where you're surprised, right? So what is, what is going on right now? We've got the Ukraine war going on, right? And you've got lots of brands that are operating in Russia. Yes. And suddenly whether you like it or not, if you're one of those brands, you have to take a stand. And then you're surprised and some brands handle that well. And some brands really struggle with it because they were surprised. 
And you really should not be surprised about your values. You can very well decide that you're going to stand in the mushy middle, which is which is just fine. But it should be a strategic choice that you made and not one mm-hmm. that you try and make on the fly. Yeah, that's a good point. And earlier when you were talking about the example of the Facebook ad, you brought in the impact of the pandemic in terms of audience and and their point of view, right? In terms of how they view that. Obviously, this global pandemic, it's had so many different impacts out in the business world. How do you see the impact of it in terms of, has there been a change in the way companies should approach their branding strategy, development, and execution? I I do. I mean, your brands are what they are, but nonetheless, I think it has had a big impact on the whole brand experience element, right? Which is, um, with the pandemic coming in, you know, we have all started working in a different way. So, you know, we've been working more remote, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that the experience side of the brand goes away, but it does mean that you have new opportunities to create experiences in a different way. And that part in some, in some cases was positive in some cases might've been negative, but some cases was positive and that doesn't go away. So for example, you know, I live in Chicago and Chicago is a big foodie town, you know, there are lots of restaurants here and so on. And that was one industry that was hit so hard. And what some of the restaurants did, you know, we have some very famous chefs here and so on. And what they did was that they said, fine, you know, we have the pandemic, you can't come to a restaurant, but they created these new programs where they mm-hmm. said, okay, you know, you come to our restaurant, you know, you pick up these meals that we've prepared, which are kind of partially prepared, but you come out and pick pick these up and then we will do um, a, you know, what of a Zoom call and we'll show you how to finish those and how to finish preparing them and then have a nice luxury meal, fine dining experience in your own home. So this is something that they weren't doing before, Right. But with the pandemic, they decided to do some things like this. So they started doing different things. Likewise, people that have been, you know, teachers who have been teaching their students, they've started using different online methods to teach them. We as consultants have started using different tools to sort of interact with our clients more efficiently and what have you. So I think these some, sometimes you have to sort of embrace these challenges, Dan, and you have to embrace them and say, okay, what is it doing to, um, to you know, open up this whole new world and give us an opportunity to create new um, and new experiences. And the same thing, by the way, uh, on a bigger scale is happening with metaverse. Brands are really jumping into that whole space, you know, whether it's the metaverse, whether it's the NFTs and what have you. But there's a lot more that is going on there as brands are anticipating that in the future, that is going to be a core part of people's experience with their brands. And as part of just looking at the future and trying to stay ahead of that, what do you see as the role of ongoing brand research? You know, what should a company be thinking about in terms of investing and committing to research in guiding their longer term strategic decisions? Right. So, I mean, and, and market research is a big part. You know, certainly if you are a big company, then, you know, you likely have a full marketing research department. And I, you know, I think that stays as important as ever, if not uh, becomes even more important. Um in terms of, you know, two basic types of research that is done out there, qualitative research and quantitative research, qual and quant is kind of what people do. I'm a big believer in the first component of that, which is the qualitative research. There is, 
even with everything that's happening, Dan, with, you know, artificial intelligence, with the machine learning, with the big data and so on, I firmly believe that there is no replacement for one human talking to another human and and gleaning insights from that. So I always advocate to uh, my clients that be really good at your qual research and do it in many different ways. You know, do IDIs, do uh, focus groups, do metaphor elicitation, do ethnographic studies, whatever, but get in front of your consumers and really talk to them so that you can glean some insights on that, which you will never get by just letting machines do it. Um, once you've done that, because that is the starting point for really thinking about ideas about where your brand could go, which direction it could go in, then you could always narrow down which of those 10 choices you have in a, in a quant research. But nonetheless, that first part is one of the most valuable things you can do, particularly when you're launching a new brand or trying to reposition where your brand has been. Yeah, that's great advice. And I know one of the challenges uh, in in companies when they're really considering uh, qualitative versus quantitative is qualitative is really perceived as sometimes being more expensive, a little more difficult. And so again, back to that expediency of, oh, well, it's just cleaner, faster. There's this tendency, isn't there, to just want to go right to the quantitative and get get some sort of result faster. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that's where people have been leaning heavily on you know, AI and, um, and on uh, big data. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, like I say, it's you, you've got to get in front of your consumers. And unfortunately, what happens is that as people become more and more senior in their organizations, so, you know, you start off as whatever, an analyst or a manager and this and that, and then ultimately you become a vice president and a senior vice president, right, of marketing. And guess what happens? You stop talking to your customers because, you know, somebody else is doing it for you. But I really say to those same senior vice presidents and so on, because those are the kinds of people that I work with, that no, take, make that time. Go sit and listen to your consumers, you know, whether it's in focus groups, whether it's in in-depth interviews that are taking place, go there and listen. Even if you're not the person that's doing that interview, go there and listen for yourself in first person. Don't wait for the report to come out because by the time the report comes out, a lot of the good insights have been lost in my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you've served as this invaluable consultant a strategic advisor to so many senior leaders in all these different organizations. But I'm curious how you have benefited across your career from a mentorship perspective. And is there a single piece of business advice that you think has been the most impactful for you during your career? And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of tricky to, you know, boil it down to a single, single piece of advice, but maybe there are two things that, um, two things that I would say. So, you know, one of the, you know, cleanest piece of advice that I got when I used to work for McKinsey many, many years ago uh, was a partner who told me that, look, you've got to take a stand, right? So, you know, many times consultants will come in and they'll be kind of wishy-washy, you know, they'll sort of argue from both sides of their mouth, you know, they'll say, oh, you could do this or you could do that and it depends and this and that. But you know, you have to take a stand. And so in, in uh, certainly in uh, Sorrenti, my consulting company, we don't do that. We don't do pros and cons. We tell people to, you know, 
pick an answer, even if there are 10 possible answers, pick an answer and then believe in it and advocate that to the, to the client. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing, which is an advice that I give to certainly the consultants uh, that work for me and so on, is to sort of find your own style. Because many times what happens is that people try to replicate somebody else's style. And really, consulting is all about uh, discovering what is your style and then making that work. So, so you know, for, for me, as the managing director for the firm, it's one of the most important things that I do is to help my consultants uh, discover what their style is, because ultimately that is the thing that has to work for them in an authentic and efficient way. Yeah, that really resonates with me. There's nothing more frustrating, you know, when I've engaged uh, consultants at various points uh, and you you reach the end of maybe a really in-depth project. And then, you know, the thing that you're most looking forward to is the actionable recommendations when in some cases when those come back and it's really, it's, it's all ambiguous, it's all conditional. And you kind of say, wait a minute, I just put in three months, uh, six months, you know, investing in this. And now you're kind of giving me this, well, it might be this or it might be that. I mean, and so I really appreciate to say, look, be definitive and have courage and conviction as that value-added consultant. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that is, uh, that is how, certainly when you're working with senior clients, you know, when you're working with the C-suite, that is what they're looking for. You know, you're not going to fly with, the, with, the, with that level of consulting unless you're able to take a stand. So Sandeep, when you look at the future, and then you're thinking about we're, we're working to try to get this better understanding of how the brain works and how to apply that. What makes you optimistic? I think um, I think that you know there is a lot of you know there's a lot of research that is being done. So people are really taking this area very very seriously and much more seriously. Uh, than it used to be. So psychology and neuroscience, I mean, neuroscience has always been a science, but people are treating psych- consumer psychology as a real science these days. So that certainly makes me optimistic. There are a lot of people that are um, being trained these days in behavioral science. So when I went to my business school at Yale, which was, you know, many decades back, at that time, behavioral science was not a thing that you were taught. But now it is, you know, people are learning about that and that makes me optimistic. So the next generation, if you will, uh, of marketer does, marketers does make me optimistic. I am a little cautious about the present generation of marketers because they were not trained in these things. And unless they open their minds to these new methods and unless they make that effort to get into these things because these things are not easy. You got to make the effort. It's not something that you're going to be able to learn in five minutes. Unless they do that, um, there would be reason for pessimism in the present generation of marketers. Yeah. So we're really in this interesting inflection point, this uh, next generation, maybe being more comfortable uh, thinking about things in a new way. But the challenge and the opportunity for current generation is Get outside of your comfort zone, I think is what you're saying. Get outside of your comfort zone. Commit to learning around some of these new concepts of the cognitive science and then commit to putting it into action. Yeah, exactly. Because what you just said, uh, it sounds so easy, right? Get out, get outside of your comfort yeah. zone. Every, everybody says, sure, sure. You know, I have no problem. <laughs> yeah, I can just get outside of my comfort zone. Oh, yeah, I'm not so stubborn. I'm pretty open-minded. But guess what? 
everybody struggles with all of those things. People are not open-minded, right? Because, you know, once things are biochemically burnt into your brain, because remember how things get into your mind is when the cellular fabric in your brain changes to put that learning in there, right? And then changing that cellular fabric is not something that happens in an instant. Those cells have to realign themselves and so on. So take it from me. Everybody is stubborn. Everybody thinks they're not, but everybody is stubborn. And so changing your mindset is one of the hardest things you do. And therefore, you shouldn't underestimate the effort that it takes. That's why I was saying it's not that five-minute exercise that like, you know, I'm going to just listen to dance uh, 30 minutes here and then, yeah, I'm good to go. It's not that, you know, you got to you gotta listen to Dan, but then you got to go do your homework and, and, you know, come up to speed with some of these things. Well, hopefully our conversation is going to just be part of that journey for a lot of people to, to really help them uh, really be able to take some steps in getting outside of that comfort zone. And as you think about the opportunity for strengthening brands and deliver a winning brand strategy. Do you have any other final advice for business leaders? Yeah. The other piece that I would add is that, you know, and this is a chapter that I cover in my book, um, which is a chapter on ethics, you know, which is the chapter is called minding your manners, but really what's happening is that as we are learning uh, about how people uh, can be influenced both consciously and subconsciously, um, with all the learnings that we have from brain sciences, there is an ability that marketers are going to have and have currently and will have even more so in the future to manipulate their consumers. But that's not something that you should do. That's not somewhere that marketing should go. And so, um, you know, really understanding what the ethics are around what you should and shouldn't do is also an important um, self-regulating mechanism that um, marketers in the future uh, should realize. Yeah, that that really makes a lot of sense and we need to take it to heart. So Sandeep, I really appreciate you joining today, sharing your insights with all of your experience in helping marketers be able to develop a more effective brand strategy. And if we want to do that, the reminder of really making the commitment to understanding what's between the ears of our audience. So thanks again. Thank you very much for having me. And a reminder to everyone to please continue to give us the gift of feedback to help make this podcast even better. You can go out and rate and review on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.